This episode is brought to you by our friends at the Frontier Institute, a free market think tank that believes in solving problems with more freedom and less government. Their mission is to elevate powerful stories and sound policy solutions to break down government barriers so that all Montanans can thrive. To learn more about them, visit FrontierInstitute.org. Let's get on with the show. Today, our guest is Trish Schreiber, uh, a person who came on and came into Montana and started the, a new school choice movement on charter schools and community choice schools. Trish, tell us a little bit about it yourself uh, and uh, your story on uh, charter schools. Sure. So um, by trade, I am an educational therapist, which means that I am a learning specialist who works in private practice. So I'm a bit of an education entrepreneur as well. And for 25 years, I ran a private practice where I focused on assessment and remediation instruction for students with mild to moderate learning disabilities and other comorbidities, kind of depending on what was going on for them. I had a lot of students who had maybe experienced trauma and so we're having difficulty staying in school, keeping things together. Lots of reasons why people would come to see me. And um, I also worked as an advocate for parents at their schools to help them make sure that their rights were being uh, provided to them, that they have under IDEA for special education, and um, that the schools were finding ways to modify the curriculum and make it work for their kids. So basically, I come to education with this perspective for the last 25 years of every kid needs something different, right? Than what's being offered to them. But the uniqueness of a child isn't really limited to just students with disabilities because everyone's got, you know, something different going on. So I moved to Montana about six years ago. And um, during that time, I was you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my practice, whether I was going to keep it. I was seeing some students online already at that time, but that was not my preferred method. But I was doing a lot of consulting with parents and um, assessments. And so anyway, I decided to take some time off of work to uh, kind of do a sabbatical and figure out what the next step was going to be in my career. And I landed on philanthropy. Uh, so not making any money, but doing lots of work. And that was okay. The move to Montana actually made that possible for us in many ways. And um, I live in a very rural community, so there were no people around. And it was a matter of just kind of reaching out to um, learn what's going on. Then COVID hit. And during that time period, so the timing was perfect for me because I had already transitioned all my clients um, elsewhere. And... Um, I realized we didn't have charter schools in Montana. And I was like, what? Like, how is that even possible? So I started talking around to people and realized that we were one of the last, you know, five states to hold out on passing legislation for charter schools. And um, I just decided to do something about that. So I did a deep dive into the history, figured out what was going on got what I could from watching all those hearings, reading through the documents, talking to people who were involved and decided to give it a go during the 2023 session. That's great. And what was about charter schools and the absence of it in Montana that was so important to you? Well, just that they're really easy. Like when you look at the slew of education freedom and what's actually available, charter schools are just a first step in the right direction. And oftentimes they have to be that first step. Although now there are two states who have gone from nothing to, 
ESAs or universal ESAs even, and that's Nebraska now that most recently did that and West Virginia before that. So um, while, of course, I looked at that and was very interested in that because I believe in education freedom in general, the charter schools looked more doable because of our constitution here in Montana, which is a little complicated and is very clear about the direction of funding through appropriation and where it can and can't go. And so it looked like an easier of the two battles to take on and <laughs> kind of a no brainer. And there's just so much data from across the country about how to make it accessible. And parents like the idea of the charter schools. And honestly, I like it in the sense that it still sticks to the public system, which not like I'm a huge fan of the public system. It's just that that's where most people are, is they're right there in that space of public education. And so it's a way to offer a tuition-free public option to parents. Trish, can you explain for folks that might not be familiar with the the nuances, the differences between true public education as it exists uh, today and, and what charter schools offer in contrast? Sure. So, you know, a traditional public school is what we all expect. We pay taxes. We're compelled to pay those taxes, whether you have children or not. We're all supporting the, you know, public schools as a matter of, you know, being a resident of, the, of whatever state you belong to. That's happening everywhere. So that's not new. And then basically across the country, and this is true in Montana, too, the way the traditional schools are run is that somebody runs for school board, whether or they sign up, which is a thing I learned in Montana. So a lot of time there's absolutely no competition. They're like begging for people to be on the school board. So you just go down to the county clerk and write your name on a list. And they're like, okay, you're on the school board. So, you know, I think that the school board structure, the way it works is that the funding comes through the school boards, they give it to the schools and they develop the budgets and they run the schools that way. And we're all pretty familiar with public education in that system. And what a charter school do is, does, a true charter system, is it allows the formation of an independent school board to open a public school. So they're still tuition free. The only difference is that it's an independent school board that has gotten together for whatever reason, and they decide to open a school that is somehow different. And those differences range from school to school. And their ability to be truly autonomous also ranges from state to state, depending on how good the legislation is. And now Montana is in the top one third of charter school legislation, meaning that we I mean, we really have a great bill. And um, other states are calling us now going, how'd you guys get that great bill passed? <laughs> and um, it's kind of nice to know that not only did we did it, do it, but we did it right. So it gives the parents and the communities a lot of freedom to innovate and, you know, provide offerings that just aren't there right now. Because right now, all the schools quite literally are mandated to be equal. Therefore, they're all the same mm. with yeah. very little differences. And it just doesn't work for people sometimes. That's right. And one of the interesting things I love about this system, this idea that you have is is the difference between even, you know, charter as it currently was in Montana was almost non-existent, where the school board has no incentive to get innovative, right? Why would you, right? You already have these mechanisms, these pathways for money to flow. Why would you want to be all entrepreneur about it? You're, you're just running for an unpaid position on a school board member. Uh, but what charter schools, community choice schools allow you to do is have any group of parents and correct me if I'm wrong here, Trish, get together and decide we want to start something to service our kids and other uh, you know, members of the public that's different in these certain ways. 
Uh, what are the sort of ways that, you know, people can be different in charter schools with Montana? Well, then the number one way is that we put in the bill that the choice system is not subject to what's in Title 20, except for health and safety issues and civil, you know, civil rights laws. Of course, they have to follow all of mm -hmm. that. But other than that, that means I mean, that's a big deal. And a lot of Title 20, quite honestly, is focused on the hiring of adults. And that is no joke, because that's really the difference that these schools have to offer is that the school boards or the independent boards can hire whoever they want in order to teach the children. So and or the adults, because we're talking about high schools, too. So that means they can focus more on individuals who are subject matter experts and actually have master's degrees in English before they start teaching grammar to first and second graders. Or maybe they have a Ph.D. or they have real life experience as experts in a field and they want to teach high level mathematics and science and things that we just you don't get that from a teaching credential like a teaching credential is learning about licensing and, you know, working within the law. It's not really I mean, it's not what I would call, you know, excellent graduate study that right. people I have a teaching credential from California and it was an annoyance to have to do that. It was a waste of my time and it felt like a tax and I would have rather just paid the tax and not had to do that certificate. Um, but I did it because it was, you know, whatever. I was talked into it. But I also got a master's degree and everything I learned about special education, I learned from my master's degree program from the exact same institution. It was just far superior to what was offered in the teaching credential. So that's a big piece of the charter schools. But they can also innovate in ways that we can't even imagine now. So when you the way it is in House Bill 562 now is that boards can propose schools not only with who's going to teach, but what they're going to teach, how they're going to teach, where they're going to teach it, how frequently they're going to teach it. All of those rules are embedded in Title 20. And this is just unleashing the ingenuity of the people and their communities for example, one of the things that I'm really excited to think about is that we've been hearing a lot from people who live in Indian country and they're like, we really want an immersion school. Like, we really want to do that. That's like something real. But right now, in order for them to do such a thing, first off, they have to propose it under the structure that we have now, which is super onerous and costs way too much. And it's very hard to try to open up a new school because there's a moratorium on districts. So there's that. Then they have to have their the teachers go through what we call a series seven certificate, which is something we've had in the books for, I don't know, like 20 years. And there's something like two people who have ever done it in the entire state. It's kind of a joke. Mm. So no one wants to jump through those hoops. And the truth of the matter is, is that in the within the tribes, the people who speak the languages and could teach it to the young are the elders. They're not going to go back and get a series seven certificate, which is exactly why they haven't done that. And there's no incentive for them, whereas they could just teach it now. And now they have the approval to do that. I mean, it's really great that That's they great. can just do what they want. So when we talk about permissionless education, we got as permissionless as we can while still having accountability in this bill. Absolutely. That's really fantastic. I mean, it's it's amazing to me that uh, this bill is really opening up like that that cultural exchange and like that passing on of of such a rich tradition and legacy in that um, in that particular scenario. I'm curious on a slightly different note. Um, what do teachers think about charter schools as a concept working within one? It sounds like it's such a great thing for students. What do the staff and administrators uh, think about it? 
Well, I'm really glad that you brought that up because oftentimes people forget about the teachers. And we had a good number of teachers join our campaign and they were out there, you know, calling their legislators and showing up at the hearings and really speaking out and helping because they see this for what it is, which is a liberation call for them. I mean, this gives them the ability to become education entrepreneurs rather than being stuck in a system that's very stale with like this bureaucratic inertia that's getting them nowhere. And um, teachers feel very frustrated because they want to respond quickly to their students and they often can't and or they have to, you know, offer waste time doing things that, you know, that are other than addressing these needs and, and desires of what their students and the teachers would like them. I mean, their parents would like them to cover by covering other stuff that's, you know, mandated from up on down, you know, for them to uh, to go forward with. So anyway, so teachers, by and large, were supportive. Now, a lot of teachers who didn't know about it and they're listening to false narratives, they were worried. And so there were certainly a lot of them pushing back against it. And that's usually where administrators fall also is because, you know, they're trying to protect the status quo and they want to. I, I get that. You know, this is definitely offering a disruption and um, there are consequences that come with that. But 45 other states in D.C. have figured out how to do it without ruining their schools. And I'm positive Montana can, too. Absolutely. What are some of those misconceptions? What would people misunderstand or get wrong about what charter schools are? And then how, how would you respond to those if if, of course, you haven't already answered those questions? Right. Well, sadly, we had to answer all those questions in all the hearings because, well, we heard them over and over again. So Sorry one of the, I don't know, you guys can probably come up with them. No, that's fine. The most common one is that they're going to charge tuition. Totally not true. You are not required to, to pay tuition to go into a charter school. Another one is that they cherry pick their students. Again, not true. By law, you, you know, if a school opens up and they have X number of seats, it's first come, first serve to fill those seats. Or if there are more people who want to come, then they literally have to have a lottery in order to get a seat, at, you know, in that school. Um, another one is that they don't serve special education students. Again, not true. It's right there in the law that they absolutely have to offer all the protections of IDEA to all of their students, including child find, which is something that the current schools overlook conveniently all the time. And, um, you know, they, they're responsible for that as well. So that's just kind of among the first ones. Oh, one of the ones I didn't uh, actually just for folks that aren't aware, could you define a little bit about the special needs um, kind of acronyms you use there as well as what child find is? Sure. I'm sorry. So IDEA is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act that was passed, um, you know, back in the 70s. But it's it basically gets re-upped all the time and they're constantly making it better. And it's a really important law. It, this is a federal law and the states have to follow it. They can do more than what's offered in um, idea or IDEA, but they can't do less. And um, oftentimes the states, the states do do less because most people don't know their rights under IDEA. And so they take advantage of that. In California, I saw that all the time. And sadly, I've seen that right here in Montana. Um, so one of the things that they have to offer students under IDEA is what's known as FAPE, which is a free appropriate public education. And it's the duty of every school to offer that to every student, especially those with disabilities, whether they're a physical disability or a developmental dis disability or a learning disability. If you have any kind of a disability, you have the right to a free and appropriate public education. They also have to do child find, which means that the districts 
are supposed to search every year for children who have disabilities that live in their districts, even if they do not go to those schools. So that means they should be finding children who are in homeschool situations and or, you know, getting ready to go into pre-K or kindergarten. And they should be looking at the families and the children that they have in their area and offering if they need to have an assessment, whether it's for language or maybe occupational therapy. There are a number of things, but they're absolutely mandated to do it. And the state of Montana takes money, as do all the states, to cover that. And so oftentimes they'll say, oh, we don't have the money to do it. It's like, no, you took federal money. Therefore, you now have the responsibility to do this. And unless you have savvy parents, they don't even realize that they have these rights. So... Yeah, and we, we also heard uh, accusations, uh, for example, that the charter schools would not teach, you know, science or they wouldn't teach, you know, I don't know, certain <laughs> kinds of English, like a controversial English books, or right. they wouldn't uh, do Indian education, stuff like that. D- do you have a response for those? Right. Yeah, well, it's definitely in the law in 562 that they have to do Indian education for all because they're going to be getting money for that. So that we made sure that that's like, like literally those pennies were following the students um, because that's how we can honor the constitution. So they'll, they'll have to do that for sure. Um, yeah, there's, there have always been, you know, like myths about like someone's going to open a charter school for witchcraft or something, you know, but they have to get past the charter commission. So this is a group of, you know, a diverse group of, of seven people who will be appointed by elected officials and, any school proposal in order to ask for a charter, you have to go through the commission first. So the commission is going to be reading through the proposals. And if there's something in there that they don't like or they don't feel like is enough, they can just say, you know, we want more here. We want you to reconsider this before we're going to give you a charter. So they absolutely have accountability to the state and the money, you know, because they will be receiving state money. So it's important that there's accountability worked in there. But the commission can decide um, which charters to accept and which to refuse. And they'll give them feedback for the ones that they refuse and how they can make it better so that they will accept it. And all of that will be open to the public to monitor on their own as well. Is the charter commission, is that an elected position or are they appointed? They'll be appointed. So we wrote in the bill so that it would reflect the voters of Montana And so the governor will have two appointees that um, that he'll take care or that this time it's a he. But in the future, we may have a female governor and then the uh, superintendent of public instruction will have an appointee and the speaker of the House and the president of the Senate will have appointees, as will both minority leaders. So in both chambers, the Senate and the House, they'll be able to appoint somebody. And that's the diverse part of it. And we're hoping that ideally, especially this first group that they geographically get spread out across the state. Like not everyone's coming from the same area. That would be nice too, but that's not mandated. Mm. Absolutely. And at least, you know, the folks that are appointing them are accountable to the public. So there's some manner of recourse for folks to, uh, you know, to make their voices heard in that respect. Exactly. And eventually they'll, well, they even, the initial appointments will have some staggering to their terms, but that's exactly right. But the terms will, you know, they'll, come due and then you'll get a chance to like if the minority changes and or the majority and the governor, certainly the superintendent position could change. Um, So, yeah, they'll be able to make new appointments. And the commission 
for themselves as a group, they can actually monitor each other also. So we made sure to write in there that somebody's derelict of duty for one reason or another, the commission can vote them off of the commission and then the appointing, you know, official has to make a new appointment. Perfect. So a lot of people are really upset about their public schools, right? COVID happened and they were doing the home like video Zoom school thing and they found themselves listening into what their teachers telling to their kids. And they found all this stuff that is now called wokeness, right? They found this in their public schools and there was a tremendous amount of outrage and it created a tremendous amount of pressure to change the system. And I think one of the one of the things that happened here was with the charter bill, ESAs, other ones. You mentioned earlier people were concerned about tuition. Public schools charge tuition. If you do interdistrict transfer right. in Montana until this year, <laughs> right, where that got stopped, uh, there's uh, there, there's all kinds of hypocrisy in this space. But one of the things that's happened with this is like people are looking for a way out. And how do how do community choice schools and charter schools uh, enable you know parents to pull their kid and put them into a school that maybe matches their values better uh, and doesn't you know allows them to better make sure that their kids are raised in a way that comports with their values. Right. Well, it takes some time, first off, because, you know, founding a school is not a small task. And um, so it's going to take organized communities getting together to make this work. And people are talking already. People are reaching out to us. They're very interested in learning how to use the bill to start a school. So basically, it comes down to what's in Section 9 that outlines um, what would need to be in the charter in order to apply for it. And it's basically a business plan like you would create for any business that you were wanting to operate and you were looking to have investors or something or how much of a loan do you need to take out in order to make it happen. So in going through the process of creating that school, uh, one of the steps is finding your leader for the school and um, then also identifying, you know, what curriculum you want to offer. And I think that is the biggest motivator right now post COVID, although certainly this has been going on in the country for the last 30 years or so. There are more reasons to want choice, but right now parents are really feeling it acutely and it's very hard for them to, as you know, like to change school boards. I mean, that is a really long game that takes a long time. You have to invest money and, you know, go through the elections and the money that people are investing is just being matched and or outnumbered by often the union backed employees who will protect the set. I mean, school board members who will attack, you know, protect the status quo. So It gets political in that way. So this is a way for them to say, look, we want to open a public school that's an American classical education. Tried and true. We want to do this. This is the curriculum we want to use. And we're going to use this standardized test. Can we do that? And the commission will look through everything and say, as long as you can make it work financially and make it you know, safe for the kids and fill in all these blanks. Yeah, you can. So, you know, a lot of people who have been reaching out to us are very interested in American classical classical education, which makes sense, because if you look at our private schools, that's pretty much what they're offering. They're just offering it with religion. And this would be offering it without religion, um, making it legal, you know, for public schools to do it. But also there are people who are looking to um, offer different, you know, high school schools that focus on career technical education and not just welding and phlebotomy, but actually in engineering and, you know, and or plumbing and and there's just, you know, electrical work. I mean, there's so much that could be learned during that time period where when you graduate, you can just go get a job that a really well paid job that where you have actual skills that you've learned in mm-hmm. class. So 
that's how people are using them in other states. And I imagine we'll see a lot of that here as well. Absolutely. A lot of people think, you know, high schoolers couldn't possibly get trained for a job in high school, right? You got to get out of college for that. And that's ridiculous. You got to go to associate's right. degree in order to learn how to weld. That's ridiculous. In fact, most of Europe, right. that's how their system works. By high school, you are training for a career, right? Well, in America, we're still kind of in this weird space where we kind of still want to make everybody into an academic by the time they're 18, rather than like actually transition into the real world. Right. right. And everyone goes to college. One of the other of things course, to add to and, that. Uh, oh, that. Sorry, Joe. oh, that's all right. Go ahead. I was just going to say to add to that, that what we've seen in other states is um, a lot of charter high schools are working with the community colleges simultaneously and or virtual options so that when students are graduating at 18, not only do they have their high school diploma and possibly some real technical skills that will help them in the job force, but they've got an AA. So when you think about that, they've got two years of college paid for with their high school which makes a huge difference. And when you think about like being an 18 year old, taking a gap year or two, and then going back and finishing your next two years of college, you're gonna have more choices for entry into different universities and less debt. I mean, you're halfway there. That's great. Solving the debt crisis. With entrepreneurship, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh, one of the things, uh, and I and I, I don't want to go past this too quickly. When I asked you kind of how, you know, this all started, how you wound up in this position where you're being quoted in the newspaper and you're all over the place being the, the face of community choice schools in Montana. You're like, well, I moved here and then I did this thing. You totally skipped out. There's got to be more to that story. You, there's got, it was a lot, of, a lot of meetings, I bet. It was a lot of hard work. Like, tell us about the journey a little bit on how you got to the place where yeah. you became the face of all this. Oh, gosh, I don't know. So um, there was a group of us that started. It was five of us who were talking about possibly opening up a school. And um, we were talking about opening an American classical education school. And we were looking in the Missoula, Bitterroot area, kind of like that. And as we started talking and we were just going to open up as an independent school. But I was like, I don't want to be just like another independent school. We should really do something different. So it was like, how about if we run it like a charter school, but um, but be an independent school since that's our only option right now. And so it was like, I'm sure there are private schools out there that fully operate off of, you know, 100% scholarshiping their students. Let's go find them. So I just got on the phone and on the internet and started calling around and found out that there are a lot of those schools around the country, really interesting schools too, that I found with amazing leaders. And they were funny because they were, they're in states that have charter schools, but they were like, oh yeah, I didn't do that because we were so disorganized at the beginning. I mean, I met a man who's been running a school now for 20 years in East Palo Alto. And the first two years when he had this school, he literally taught his students on picnic tables <laughs> outside in a park. So fascinating. But it's because he was working as their basketball coach and none of them could read. And he was like, this is not OK. Like, I have to fix this. And then he turned it into a school. And now he's got a private school that's quite large in East Palo Alto. And there's a lot of venture money there. So you can imagine that people are happy to donate to him. But he was like, no one would have given me a charter. Um, you know, so so it starts like that. So anyway, so we started talking about that. And then we decided to split off and have some subgroups within that board. And I ended up on the group that was going to try to push the legislation. And so from there, what we did um, was we started doing the deep dive on the bill and talking to different legislators and people who were involved. 
I found out that, in fact, the bill had been run all those years while being unconstitutional. So I was like, well, why don't we just fix it? So that meant a lot of conversations with different lawyers across the country who were able to give us their advice, look at our constitution. They're like, yeah, yeah, this has happened in a number of states. Here's how you fix it. So we interpreted that language into the draft that we had in order to meet the constitutionality, fixed a bunch of other things that were in there since we had the time, like the creation of the commission, for example. It was um, presented differently in the past, and there are reasons why that was problematic, which we learned by speaking to people at the uh, National Association of Charter School Authorizers. We learned about authorizing and what that actually means, and so we were able to change all that in the bill. And it was just a lot of talking to people. And um, there were really like three of us who were doing all this work. But at the same time, we were reaching out to parents and teachers and, and community leaders all over the state. And it was funny because it felt like we weren't going anywhere for a while. <laughs> and then just as we started to approach the legislative session, people started showing up. And that made a big difference. And so at that point, I think is where I kind of became more of like a, a leader. And it was just because I was a point person. And so people were reaching out to me and talking to me and asking me, like, where can I read about this? Where can I read about that? How can I help? And I was happy to give people jobs <laughs> because there was a lot to do. So that was terrific. And um, then it just sort of, you know, we went through the session and it seemed like with each um base that we passed, more people would join the campaign. And I guess people like winners, right? Mm. So that was good. But then we had that faithful day where our bill actually died and that was terrible. But then we we, we brought it back. <laughs> it was like that week ended up great in the end, but uh, not so good at that main point. But anyway, we, we got through. So tell us about the bill dying. Like there's, there's a, a huge dramatic inflection point there. Tell us about that. Oh, my gosh, it was so terrible. It just you know what? It was that week where Representative Zephyr was, um, you know, having her say about what was going on in the House floor. And so it's like anxiety was just running so high through the state house. It was palpable. I mean, the week before leading up to that. And then like when that actually happened, we were waiting for our uh, Senate finance and claims hearing. And people are like, oh, my gosh, people are getting carted off in handcuffs. You know, we were like, stay focused, stay focused, you know, just trying to shut it out and stay focused on what we needed to do. Anyway, it was that week. And then we got out of executive action the next day, Wednesday. We weren't supposed to even be up until Thursday. And um, everything was just crazy that week. And it was a last minute change. And I got a text saying, oh, my gosh, the charter bills are going to be up this afternoon on the Senate floor. I was like, what? I'm not even near Helena. Like, I can't get there. They're like, they're going to be up in a half an hour. So I had to sadly watch on delay on the Internet as our bill died. And it was just everyone lost their minds. And we were like, that was not supposed to happen. Like, how could all of that work just instantaneously go down the drain? It was terrible. So we decided to encourage the Senate to make a motion to reconsider, which is a thing. And I didn't know that was a thing because people were sending us, you know, like bereavement emails and we're like, I couldn't even talk to anyone. It was just like, I have to stay focused on going forward. And it worked. So um, they they voted to reconsider. And then on Friday, 
The next day, they put the bills forward again for second reading. They both passed. They suspended the rules so that we could get that third reading in there on the same day. And they got it done. You know, so it was and it was like that was how it was supposed to be. And it was beautiful. Like the hearing on, or on, not the hearing, the Senate floor session was fantastic. If you haven't watched it, you should really go back and watch it. It was the 28th of um, April. And it was great because it literally looked like we had choreographed that. And people were like, oh, what great work you did. You had everyone say the exact right thing. I was like, that was spontaneous. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't have anything to do with that other than we had been working so hard, you know, for a year and a half. And a lot of them knew that. So everyone gave it the time that it deserved to have. And we got through. So it was great. A victory for representation. That's amazing. Through all of that. I have to ask, though, uh, I, I just when you said you can encourage the senators to reconsider that, that just sounds like a mafia euphemism to me. I want to know what that process is like. How do you, you know, encourage them to reconsider? So it's in the rules. Yeah. And I didn't know it was in the rules, but it's there. And um, when you hang out with enough people who know the rules, someone gets an idea and they're like, Oh, Hey, they can do a motion to reconsider. And I was like, really? Okay. Well, let's see about that. So, um, you know, and I think they, they were, agreeable because I think everyone knew it was a travesty like that should not have happened this is just it was too much work on all of this and there's really a movement from parents and grandparents and community leaders wanting this and the time was right I mean everyone knew the time was right like Montana deserves to be free like Montana deserves this and um, so it was just really a matter of calming everyone down. I mean, it was almost like when you just, you know, give children a timeout, you're like, okay, you just need like 10 minutes over there in the corner. It was like that. They just needed to chill, wrap their heads around what was really important and get their work done. And they did it. It was awesome. There's a few uh, um, confusing factors for some some representative senators in this case uh, of two different charter bills that are moving concurrently. One that would would be controlled by the school boards and Trisha's bill, which is the community choice schools, which are any group of parents that pulls together can be entrepreneurial and pull together a new school board for that specific school. Gotcha. Very different dynamics. They don't contradict each other. Both can definitely exist in the code at the same time. There's no reason why they couldn't, but it was one of those things where, you know, these are citizen legislators, right? So like when they see two bills that look very similar, they're like, I can't navigate this. I'm going to vote. No, I imagine some of that was the dynamic. And then additionally that the temperature in the room, with the Zoe thing and all that it was so intense that I think a lot of people were just kind of voting no just to get done with the session. They just wanted the session to be over. Sure. They were um, a bit distracted by yeah. everything going on. And today. then additionally, I think uh, Governor Greg Gianforte also encouraged, you know, a, a motion to reconsider and came in in that moment to be like, hey, guys, I really want a charter school bill. You should look at this again. No one can force a legislator to, to reconsider. But those messages from the outside, they're like, hey. There's a, there's a parent choice movement going on. There's a governor who wants it. Why are you standing in the way? Uh, and it was just like the, the right mixture, the right concoction to, to bring it back to life. That's Very fantastic. Cool. Trish, I'm curious. So you mentioned uh, early on in our conversation today that, uh, that charter schools are sort of like the first stepping stone, the first maybe easiest uh, objective to accomplish here. What are some of the next steps and, and maybe some of the obstacles you're going to overcome to achieve those? Sure. Well, we, you know, Montana also passed a um, special education ESA, which is no small miracle 
I mean, it's it's really a miracle. The number of states that have an education savings account are are few. I mean, more so after this legislative session, I think we're up to 11 now that have some form of an educational savings account. But that really is the gold standard in education freedom in that it's the um, it's the best way to allow parents to debundle their education options and go where they need to for various services in order to fully educate their child. And with that comes a lot of responsibility because, I mean, most homeschoolers can tell you this, it's it's a lot of work to, to organize the education of a child. And so um, they will be, you know, they can now be reimbursed for educational expenses if you have a child who's recognized as having a disability. And this would be their rights again, coming back to IDEA. So it's like that assessment is really important because once they're identified as that, they get that. Um, so, and I think that that's really the direction that states are taking. Voucher systems are great. Um, although I don't really see that so much. I don't see that happening here in Montana. Not many states have vouchers, but they're, it's saying that you can use your money and go directly to an independent school, um, which is terrific. And they work well where they have them. But more states have been pushing for the educational savings account because it really gives freedom to the parents. We have the tax credit scholarship, which is very small, but better than not having at all. And that um, allows people to write off on their taxes. Basically, it's like dollar for dollar, which is great if you can if you can figure it out. Um, then instead of paying your taxes, you can make a donation either to a traditional public school or to something like a scholarship, which is a scholarship granting organization that can then provide scholarships for students who seek them to go to independent schools. So that's another form of education freedom. We did have an open enrollment bill go through, although in my opinion, it did not go anywhere near far enough actually making that happen. You're right, David, that there's um, we did used to charge tuition and we still can, even with this new law. It's just that it, there's an opportunity now, if a school has an opening that you can get into, then you won't have to pay that tuition. But if they don't have an opening, um, then you can't go there anyway. <laughs> so like real open enrollment, we're in states that have true open enrollment. It's like kindergarten is a lottery. And that's how you start. So it's like the the good schools are good for a reason. And um, the ones that aren't so good start cleaning up their act because otherwise they're going to lose students from the very get go. So it's kind of nice to see that happen. But those are just some ideas. Another thinking, you know, another form of school choice or um, I like to call it education freedom. So we're not just focusing on the schools, because I really think that especially post covid, like the direction of education is is just something that shouldn't be tied together in brick and mortar and like, that's it. That's your only choice. There are just so many different choices and the more freedom we allow the people to have, they're going to figure out what's right for them. And it might not even be the, the same choice for each of their children. It can vary, but it would be nice for them to be able to, you know, have some of those options and not only have to pay out of pocket since again, we're all compelled to pay for the education of the children. Hmm. Yeah. Um, if, uh, well, I want to ask, you know, we don't have a very large audience, but we're growing and we're working hard at that. Um, is there anything that our audience can do to help you and your work and your cause for education freedom? Sure. There's a role for everyone. And um, 
We have a website that's up and running still. It's Community Choice Charter Schools for Montana.org. But no matter what you put in there, you're going to find us. If you put in public charter schools for Montana, you'll get to us. And um, there's a contact us button there. And a lot of people have been reaching out to us there, which is a great place. And, you know, there's boards that are going to be forming. And so if you have some time, if it's the right time in your life where you can focus on helping a community, it might not even be your community, but maybe a nearby one who's looking to form a school, then they'd be great. They could use some help in getting that started. Philanthropy is going to have a huge role here. So if you're good at raising money or if you've got money to give, these schools are going to have to raise money in order to operate because they're only getting um probably about a third of what, I mean, they're getting way less than that because they're not getting facilities, they're not getting buildings, they're not getting transportation or any of that. So they're getting really a small fraction of what a traditional school will get, but they'll be getting something that will help, which is good. Um, there, If you're a teacher and you're looking, I mean, this is a really important one. If you're a teacher, and especially in you know a field of special education in one form or another, and you're looking to be more entrepreneurial with your own life, then let the OPI know because we have this special education ESA now and they're going to need providers to send parents to. So whether it's occupational therapy or speech therapy or education therapy in general, even tutoring. Um, So, you know, again, just start talking to people and checking in with the OPI, letting them know that you're interested. You can come to our website and we've been matching people up in their areas. And um, we're also going around and doing some town hall meetings throughout the summer and the fall. Um, we don't, we have, we don't have any of our dates like set in stone yet. That's going to happen this week, but we're going to be up in the flathead area in the end of June. We'll be in Billings in mid July. I think they the Rotary club of Missoula is hosting an event. Um, I think it's August 9th, and then we're going to be in Helena for sure on the 14th. We just don't know where yet, but this is a time for people to get together and learn, you know, about others in their community who want to maybe start a school uh, or who want to learn about the bill or who are worried about it. And they're, you know, stressed out and they just need to hear the truth rather than uh, the false narratives. We're we're there for that, too. So um, we're hoping, you know, if you if I didn't mention your area like Bozeman is so obvious, we need to go there. And uh, we just haven't like put it on the calendar yet. But that's going to happen, too, eventually. But let us know, you know, and um, and we'll follow up on it. And then also starting July 1st, hopefully sometime between July 1st and September 1st, we'll have a seven member commission and they will be the new face of the community choice movement. So hopefully they'll help everybody to figure this all out while they get up and running. That's awesome. And and one more time, can you say that URL again, where people can go to learn more about all this? <laughs> it's a mouthful. Long. <laughs> it's community choice charter schools for Montana, all spelled out.org or .com. But you could also Perfect. do community choice schools for Montana. Yeah. Awesome. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes for people that uh, lost track of that. Thanks, as you trying guys. To <laughs> no, this is not great. savvy. I clearly don't have a degree in, you know, communications. Well, so we all don't have a Joe on our team. That's just, that's just how it goes. Well, maybe we can chat after the podcast. I'll give you some pointers. <laughs> well, right. Right. That would be good. It has been a pleasure, Trish. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling your story. Uh, I just want to encourage everybody out there who's listening. If you're not in Montana, cause we do have listeners in other States, entrepreneurship like this, social entrepreneurship is what makes freedom happen from the very beginning, you know, to, from abolishing slavery to civil rights movement, 
to the school choice and education freedom movement, every step of the way is done by individuals who've never passed a law before, finding a problem, seeing an issue where government's the problem, a government's the barrier, a rule's the barrier, a law's the barrier, and then being an entrepreneur to take that thing on. And I just hope you take inspiration from Trisha's story and, uh, and we get out there and, and make a difference in your community. Trish, uh, do you want to say anything last uh, to say goodbye? Oh, I just want to say thank you guys so much for having me on. And you gained a new listener last week, which is me. And actually my husband, that's two. So um, I did a deep dive and listened to you guys and already miss Henri. I never got to meet him. I'm like, what? What do you mean he's not going to be here anymore? Just got to know him. <laughs> He'll be back. So thanks worry. anyway for your work. <laughs> oh, good. And for spreading this, you know, the, the obvious message of freedom and and. Just thank you for the role that you guys have played too in this. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Trish. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your hard work and and thank you to everybody at home for listening. And uh, this has been a great episode. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Liberty Portal podcast. To help us fight internet censorship, we really appreciate it if you like, comment, subscribe, follow, hit the notification bell, do whatever it is that you do wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. To find us on social media and everywhere around the web, visit us at linktree.com slash Liberty Portal Pod. And remember, Montana deserves to be free. Like Montana deserves this.